Hi folks, this is Jesse Cope, back with another episode of the American Soul Podcast. Hope y'all are doing well, wherever y'all are, and whatever part of the day you're in. I sure do appreciate you joining me, giving me a little bit of your time, as always. I know there are other things that you could be doing, maybe should be doing, uh, and so I appreciate you spending a little bit of your day with me, I will try and use your time wisely. Uh, for those of y'all that continue to share the podcast and tell others about it, whether it's in person or online, thank you so much for helping it to grow. Hopefully it gives y'all some tools and hopefully it helps our nation, even if just a little bit. So thank you. Got some more Buckets installed on some of the fruit trees. Hopefully we'll manage to save one or two more. Some of the grapevines. It is still bake the grass hot. And I think a lot of the trees are starting to struggle with it because of no rain. So some rain would be nice. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for you and your Son, Jesus Christ, and your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the blessings that you have bestowed upon us, both as individuals and as a nation. Thank you for so, so many blessings that we don't acknowledge each day. Food on the table, clean water to drink, a roof over our heads, clothes to wear. Be with those who don't have those things. Help us to care for them, to care for the widow and the orphan, the least of these. And help us to be good stewards with what you have given us. And to store up for ourselves treasure in heaven and not here on earth. And God, my words today, please. Father, in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, this is a little bit out of the ordinary for this podcast, although I've done it once or twice, I think. It's kind of along the lines of the priority podcasts that we do every so often. in a way. One of the goals, daydreams, I've always had was for there to be a bookstore that had books in it where the parents could walk in and and feel comfortable with allowing their children to roam around for the most part and pick up books. Obviously, some exceptions, historical books that recounted wars or topics they didn't want their young children to see yet. But just the idea, it's why I wrote a couple of children's books, obviously, that didn't end up being successful for whatever reason. That was not in... God's plan or radar for me, and that's just fine. But one of, if not the 
driving factors and all those years of working on that was this because I read a lot of science fiction as a kid. Uh, it was in fantasy and it was something that was that I really enjoyed and it got me reading. Uh, but there were very, very few offerings in that for kids that were appropriate. You think of C.S. Lewis and Narnia, you think of Tolkien and The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. You think of A Wrinkle in Time. But you, you really pretty quickly start to run out of options for young kids or, you know, your junior high, early high school level maybe. And so that was one of the reasons I wrote it. And I've always wished there was a bookstore where parent would feel comfortable coming in and maybe husband and wife could have a cup of coffee and they could let their kid run around and not be concerned with what they were going to pick up. Not to mention these days that somebody was going to try and steal their kid. So maybe a bookstore that had four or five active duty security guards on it too, sadly. But anyway, one of the books I think uh, would, absolutely, would absolutely be in a bookstore I was running it, uh, maybe I'll get to do that someday, is The Case for Christmas by Lee Strobel. And uh, The Case for Christ, he's done a kind of a series, I think, of case for books about uh, the Bible, New Testament, Jesus Christ. And it's a great little book. And so I wanted to run through for a couple of reasons and talk about it a little bit. But uh, a couple little to preface here. Uh, there's a quote from John Quincy Adams, which talked about the fact that it wasn't so much commendable for someone to know the Bible in his day as it was condemning for them not to know the Bible. Uh, and we also recently talked about this quote from Benjamin Franklin. It is not necessary in New England where everybody reads the Bible and is acquainted with, acquainted with scripture phrases that I should note the Bible references from which I take them. But I have observed in England as well as France that verses and expressions taken from the sacred writings and not known to be such appear very strange and awkward to some readers. And this is a huge problem that we have today. Uh, because there's so many implicit references to both the Old and New Testament and the writings of our founders. But if we don't know the Bible, if we're illiterate, which we are today as a nation on the Bible, then we don't get those references. And even if we kind of think that they're references, we often don't know where they come from in the Bible or, or what they're really talking about, which is why, so, so we don't understand these founding documents, right? And, it, and we allow ourselves to be led down this rose colored path based on the lies of people saying that God and the Bible didn't have anything to do with our founding. And, and so this, 
how we got where we are today because we allowed people to tell us, well, our founders didn't want anything to do with the Bible. And we're a Bible illiterate culture today for the most part, the vast majority, which is not the way that it used to be. You can tell that from Franklin's quote. And so we've allowed ourselves to buy into these lies like separation of church and state in the modern sense, like abortion is a right, etc., etc. Homosexuality is a good thing, like all these things because we've, we've bought into separation of church and state. And we talk about that a lot on this podcast. The great thing about this book by Strobel uh, in reference to this is that it shows just how reliable the New Testament is in particular. And so once you start to figure out that our founders really did rely on the Bible, then you can, or, or I, got, I have that backwards, you know, once you start to really dig into the Bible and understand it and know some of these phrases and know how reliable it is, then you can really start to understand some of these references and the importance to our founders of God and Jesus Christ. So what I'd like to do just today is just to give y'all a few little excerpts of this book um, that might help you be able to argue if you're given to that. And if you're not, at least you'll know it. Uh, when people try and say that the Bible's not historically accurate or it's not reliable, and I think one of the first great points uh, is when you look back at the people that wrote about Jesus Christ, and, and Strobel talks about this and outlines it in pretty good detail, uh, really, I think, in the Case for Christ better, but in this little Case for Christmas book, it's a real small, quick read. And he talks about that these are not the people who you would expect to talk about Jesus Christ. And they weren't famous. They weren't the right sort of people to introduce the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Son of God. And they had little to gain, especially after he was dead, even after he was risen. They had little to gain by telling of him and, and everything to lose persecution, uh, alienation from their own people, torture, execution came along. It, it was a nasty deal. And so that that's one of the first little things is it's really kind of phenomenal that the stuff, it, it, it would take a large leap of faith to assume that these people would just write the Gospels for their own benefit because there wasn't much benefit at all. Uh, there was danger. And it, it wasn't like today we have such a cynical view today of people that write anything. Uh, and, and sadly, it's justifiable often. But these people weren't going to get anything. There were no book deals. They weren't being made rich off writing these. Uh, they weren't being made famous. They, they were being made infamous, uh, perhaps, but not famous. Uh, and it wasn't like some cult that we've had you know, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, uh, where they were gathering all these people that would do their bidding. Because the gospel preached service to others. So if anything, they became more servants 
than they already were. One of the next great little sections he has is whether Jesus Christ actually claimed to be God or not. And he goes through the synoptics, talking about Matthew and Mark, some of Jesus' comments about fear not, <clears throat> for it is I, or I am, which literally means God, right? And then the other little phrase, son of man, when you dig into it and look at the Old Testament, Daniel in particular, uh, in addition to Jesus claiming to forgive sins, and that whoever would acknowledge him, I will acknowledge before my father, showing that Jesus is claiming to be God. And so you've got a great little resource there going through some of these points, showing where, where Jesus claimed to be God. So like as Lewis said, now you're, you're left with, well, either he's crazy or, or he's evil or it's true. Then I think one of my favorite parts of this book, and, and I may have to leave you here, but it's a great little book if you have a chance to, to get it. Uh, it's a real short read, and it, it does a great job of really laying out the reliability of the New Testament in particular. But it's Strobel breaks down this argument. So one of the arguments is that the New Testament's not reliable because it was written too long after the events actually took place. Uh, by people that weren't eyewitnesses. And one of my favorite parts is he, he goes and interviews uh, a guy, PhD by the name of Bloomberg, I think. And they talk about the fact that the earliest two biographies on Alexander the Great were written more than 400 years after Alexander's death, but yet they're considered reliable. Uh, whereas the Gospels and Acts even by some of the most conservative estimates, were written at least within 30 to 50 years of Jesus Christ's life. And so, and, and when you get back to, to the really foundation of Christianity uh, that Paul wrote about and taught about, you get back to just within a couple years of Christ's life and these teachings on the fact that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and the resurrection and these main core components of Christianity are already in place within two years. It, it's just phenomenally fast relative to almost any other historical document that you want to compare it to, and yet so many people want to claim that it's not reliable, that it's somehow been tainted, uh, mythical or something. Uh, but that's so hypocritical based on how we we treat other documents. And so I know I'm at the end, so I'll leave y'all be. But I just thought it might be nice if you haven't had a chance to pick that book up. It, it is really a short read. It would be a great little Christmas present. Uh, but it would definitely be a book that would be in a bookstore where kids could walk in and pick it up and their parents wouldn't be concerned about what they were reading. And it's in line with our founders. It's in line with these people. This, our, our founding generation was extremely biblically literate. And like Franklin said, he didn't have to explain every reference. And we really ought to think about that when it comes to uh, the Declaration and the Constitution uh, that you know FDR and Truman both acknowledged uh, that the foundation of our laws and our government was based on the Bible. When they're talking about the Creator in the Declaration, they're talking about God, the Father of Jesus Christ, not Allah, not Buddha, not, not any Hindu God or anything else. 
Christianity was the only true religion to our founders. And, and we need to get back to the point where we know enough about the Bible to understand that. God bless y'all. God bless your families. God bless your marriages. God bless America. We'll talk to y'all again real soon, folks. Looking forward to it.